Well, we have been looking at <coughs> the uh, matter of real Christianity. Oh, I meant to say, if you're watching online, thanks for joining us. Text 734-215-7644. Let us know you're watching and check in. It's always a blessing to see who is watching online. Today, we're looking at the game plan, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. A biblical strategy for a winning Christian life. And before we get into this, any testimonies that you have, something from the week uh, along the lines of a of, of victory or what you're learning or something else, it's fine. Yes? I thought just for some reason I came to 11 o'clock services today on the earlier one. Part of it was my own selfishness, but then I realized the Lord had a reason for it. Because yesterday you mentioned that it was going to be a bit, you were going to give, give the gospel. Yeah. So I've been prayed up from the guys from Sunday. Saturday morning and prayed Amen. for the gospel to go out. I was able to talk to two men, as you know, give gospel tracts, gave one guy his assurance, and then after I left here, I got to talk to a old sailor at some bushes and got a gospel tract to him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, there were several visitors this morning, and a couple that I believe were lost. And yeah, well, yeah, you just follow the Lord, but that was that was good. Uh, it's good to see the gospel going out. Amen. Anyone else a testimony you want to share? Could be something from the lesson, something you're learning, something you're dealing with, or, or, or anything as we get started. All right. Well, if you have thoughts along the way, feel free to dive in and share them. When we talk about the, 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 the plan for victory, we talk about the victorious Christian life, the spirit-filled life. Sometimes uh, we, we, we have a hard time necessarily um, attaching that concept where it's supposed to go in our lives. In other words, you know, every word has meaning. I can throw out a word and you can attach it to certain ideas that I don't attach to that word, right? And, and that's part of the problem with communication. Uh, we can use certain phrases, certain words, certain things that we're all accustomed to hearing, but what you break that down, you know, as in your life, may be a little different. And sometimes we know a lot of good words, but we don't really know what they mean in our lives. Uh, what is walking in the Spirit? What is a, a battle plan for victory? What is the life of Christ, the Christ life? Uh, what is this? As we closed last week, we talked about his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy, burdened and heavy laden, and, and, and coming together with him, and he, he pulls in that yoke, and we are yoked with him. How does this all work out? You know, I was thinking about this, and, and uh, I thought about my first car. Uh, you never forget your first car, do you? Uh, and can everybody remember their first car? Okay, <laughs> yeah. I had a baby blue 1984 Ford Econoline van, four in the floor. Uh, not too many of those. Does anybody else have any, uh, that kind of a van? All right. Baby blue, uh, where it wasn't rust. Um, nice big old van, full-size van. Uh, all we had was the two front bucket seats, and then the rest just was open, and we would throw all of our stuff. We went to college. My brothers and I went to college in that van. Actually, it wasn't a bucket seat. It was a bench seat, one big, long bench seat, and all of our junk in the back. 
who knows what all we had back in there. College kids, if I ever needed to change the clothes, there was something in there somewhere. It might not be clean, but uh, it was stick shift, so I learned to drive on a stick shift, and, and uh, we'd go to school. Me and Nate, my older brother's Nathan, uh, we were in college. Matthew, you know Matthew, he preached here last year for the, uh, for the camp. He was going to high school and we, at the same place where we were going to college. So uh, I'd be driving, Nate would be shotgun, Matt would be in the middle. And of course, it's, it's a stick shift. And Matt's in the middle. And Matt didn't like that. He didn't like me, you know, knocking his knees. John, you're always hitting my knees. Yeah. I was like, fine, you shift. You, you, I'll drive and you shift. And uh, I wouldn't recommend that kids at home watching online. Yeah, don't do that at home. Uh, but Matt figured it out. And I, I, I'd say, all right, second, third. There's only four on the floor. So you fourth and back down, third. After a while, we didn't have to, I didn't have to call it out anymore. He would feel the clutch go in. You know, there's that little, that, that little uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, where you kind of move forward a little bit and you feel that clutch go in and he'd move and then we, and we would be talking, having a great old time, telling stories, and Matt would just feel that clutch go in, and he'd shift, and he'd shift again. And uh, he knew how to drive a stick shift before he knew how to drive uh, as a high school student. Every now and then, though, I'd be like, Matt, I said fourth. <laughs> what are you doing? Launcher or grinding gears. And I didn't always work that good. Uh, when we were in cooperation... Man, it was great. Uh, I'd just drive, and he would do the stick, and it was, it was perfect. But uh, we weren't always in cooperation. Okay, uh, analogy. When we're walking in the Spirit, it works seamless, and, and it's good, and we get where we're supposed to go, and we get there the right way. Uh, but sometimes we grind a few gears. Uh, we don't always uh, walk seamlessly with the Lord. We want to have a plan, though, and that's what this is all about, uh, a game plan for victory and we're going to look at philippians 2 there it is philippians 2 uh let's see here no i don't have yeah there it is philippians 2 12 wherefore my beloved as ye have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He works in us. He works through us. He accomplishes his good will and his good pleasure uh, in us. And he wants us to uh, work out, live out the salvation that he has provided with fear and with trembling. So what's the, the plan? Uh, simple outline here tonight. <clears throat> Uh, first of all, there's, a, there's, a, there's three plans Okay, we're going to look at tonight. First, uh, we're going to call it the grace plan. The grace plan. Grace is uh, that supernatural enabling. It's God giving us uh, that which we don't deserve. We don't deserve power. We don't deserve victory. We don't deserve enabling, but He gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy would be not getting what you do deserve. All right, you do deserve judgment. You do deserve the penalty. And mercy says that we're not getting that. So we got the best of both worlds. We receive mercy and we receive grace. Uh, what, a, what a blessing it is. What is this grace plan? Well, uh, he, 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 Paul said that he was the chief of sinners. He claimed to be the chief of sinners, but he also claimed to be a new creature. 
So what is this? Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There were times where he looked at himself and he says, I am wretched. But then he said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So how can these two contradictory statements about Paul uh, coexist? So what are you, Paul? Are you a new creature or are you a wretched man? Well, the, the reality is, because of grace, both are true, right? He's a sinner saved by grace. When I think of grace, I think of the story of John Newton. And if you're familiar with that story, a uh, very interesting story. I think it was focused on the family radio theater that put out a radio drama, uh, a radio version of the story of John Newton as well. Um, but boy, he, he, he was one who called himself the chief of sinners. And uh, you read about him, or if you listen to the radio drama, you listen to the things that he did in his life, you say, wow, this guy was just bad to the bone. Uh, he ran that slave ship, and evidently on one occasion, uh, one of the mothers, uh, one of the slaves, uh, had a little infant that was sick. It was just crying and just causing a fuss and he was stressed out or trying to get somewhere and he got this baby crying and he's just angry and he threw the baby over over the over the over, into the water just we're done with that took the baby and overseas that was john newton that was the guy who wrote amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me you know i think that those i'm not trying to judge him like I'm any better than him, okay? We're all sinners. But I think the words do fit. Uh, he, he, was a, he was a guy that uh, had no morals, no moral compass. He was completely lost as could be, but amazing grace saved. He said, a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You know, when we talk about this grace plan, <clears throat> it is contradictory we are the wretched man oh wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death on one hand we are sinners and there's still even that that our flesh and the habits and the memories of uh, uh, old old ingrained thought patterns that we're still learning to have victory over and some of those things still creep up but it is also true that because of god's grace we are a new creature and accepted in Jesus Christ. And so why is this important for our plan for victory? We have to know who we are and how, how we got to where we are uh, if we're going to get where we're supposed to go. And we need to remember, I in my flesh am a wretched man. I will always, if I go my own way, if I do it myself, I will tend toward those old wretched ways it was grace as the song says uh twas grace has led us this far and grace will lead me home something like that um it is grace that got me this far and it's grace that's going to keep me going i need to make sure that plan number one is a for my life is a grace plan i recognize i am a sinner i have been saved by grace and i'm going to continue now to walk based upon his grace his enablement 
God will continue to change us into his image. He will continue to mold us. He is not done with us. That's one of the things we learned from last week. God's good plan is not uh, done in my life. Uh, and it's that plan of grace that's continuing to, uh, to unfold. Galatians 2.20 says this. And this is what Paul said. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God shows us here very clearly from his word. We're here, but it's almost like he goes back and forth. He's here in me. I'm crucified with Christ. So that means I'm dead. But then he says, but I'm alive. (laughs) It's like, wait, 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 what's going on? Uh, basically, he's saying, it's not me that's going to live this life. I'm crucified with Christ, but I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the, now the direction that I'm going, the life that I'm now living, I'm going to do it by faith. Because faith is the key to God's grace. Faith is the door. Uh, John Van Gelderen has been preaching on that on Wednesday nights. I, I, I have my own workshop I'm preaching, but I've listened to him a little bit on the, on the, the website afterwards. Uh, faith is the key, as Brother Van puts it, to God's economy. It's the currency uh, that unlocks grace. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how did we get saved? By grace through faith. How are we going to continue to live if this grace plan is not finished, is still unfolding in our lives? I'm going to read this from uh, a quote from the book. Uh, Author says this, It's all His work in you, not your work for Him. It's a matter of obedient surrender to the work of God, to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of allowing the work of God, not attempting to force it with clenched fists and gritted teeth. Simply put, it's a response to God's grace. So first of all, in our plan for victory, we need to make sure that we understand it's a grace plan. Number two, it is a victory plan. And what is this victory plan? Verses 12 and 13, and again of Philippians, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And the author makes a a distinction between trying to live for Jesus versus living in Jesus. And these are different. There's people who are not saved who are trying to live for Jesus. Living in Jesus is a different concept. One is performance-driven, and one is Holy Spirit-led or enabled. So God teaches us that His work in this passage provides or produces the will and the ability to obey. Look at that again. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Uh, We also read Paul talking about the good that I would do, I don't do. The bad things I don't want to do, those I do. I have a war in my members and I want to do right, but I keep failing. That's my John Barber version of that. Okay. Um, Well, this version, this verse says, God is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, he is going to give us, he can give us the will and he can give us the ability 
to obey through his spirit, by grace, through faith. This is victory. The will is my desire to do, we'll be talking about the ability to act and, and to continue to uh, uh, grow on, on this pursuit. Um, yes, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Correct. It's what we call sanctification. Uh, salvation is where grace begins, and sanctification is where grace continues in our life. So this is not done through self-dependence. This is done through spirit dependence. Uh, as he mentions here in the book, going forward, your, your effort in the Christian life will either be self-driven, which will either be fruitless or phony, or it'll be J- Jesus-driven, Holy Spirit-driven, which will uh, happen by yielding to him, and then will pr- produce authentic fruit. That is, uh, uh, fruit that happens, of course, by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we don't need to fake it. There's no fake it till you make it. Uh, we need to be humbled and say, Lord, I want the real thing. I want to walk with you. I want you to be alive in me, working in me your will and the ability to obey. But the easiest thing in the Christian life is to get off this path and to become self-dependent again, get back on this uh, works path. It works just seem to be ingrained in our nature. Why do you think that is? Why do we just default back to a works-driven idea? Yes? Our Protestant upbringing in America, I think it's an American value. I would agree with it's American. I would go a step further, and I think it's a, a human thing. You know, um, that's one thing that has been interesting to me as I've traveled around the country. By the way, if you get a chance to travel, do it. Uh, even if you hate travel, which I don't really like travel, it is, it is good to do because you realize how small we are and how big this world is, but you also recognize that we're a lot the same. No matter where you go, people are very much the same, and, and this performance-driven uh, lifestyle is just part of our DNA. And why do you think that is? Yes? Okay, elaborate. Like, how so? Is it easier? Oh, it's it's easier uh, to live in the flesh than to live in the spirit. It's easier to do something um, from the human side than the spiritual side. It's easier, uh, for example, to I don't, I don't know. I shared a I saw a joke with my wife about the Good Samaritan, and you know, it's it's easier to give money than to actually help someone. Or pass a law. Wasn't that the joke? Yeah, the guy, the guy said, oh, I'll pass a law to make people, help people that are uh, laying on the side of the road. I mean, it works are always easier mm. than, than spiritual. Yeah, in, in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. It, it just come, it comes more natural to just do it ourselves rather than look to the Lord. Al? What John said there, I think also what comes to my mind is you never know when you've done enough. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, uh, yeah, were you going to say something? Yeah. Rebecca? I was just going to say, it's, it's uh, hard to admit that we need help. We read, we'd like to think that we're on our game, and I got this, I got this Christian life figured out. Um, it's hard to admit, um, like a firstborn 
there remembering what, who we are without Christ. Absolutely. When we remember that, that it's easier to depend on. You mm-hmm. know? And that's one of the silver linings of failure. When we fail, then we know, oh, I need the Lord, and we reach out. But then when we get back on our feet, for some reason, we just want to say, look, Mom, no hands. I've got it from here. Yeah, Joe. There is satisfaction in earning when you work for something. Absolutely. That's where I was going with it. We love, as humans, we love self-gratification. I mean, give me the biggest burger dripping with cheesy goodness and whatever you know if if the burger makes you messy (laughs) it's a good it's a good burger right we we love self-gratification i want a little me time i worked hard today i deserve it i'm gonna put my feet up and blah 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 blah. and you know even good works can be self-gratification i'm gonna do this for him and do this for her and do all this stuff and oh i just feel so gratified and again, it takes us off of that grace path and onto the works path. Not that we shouldn't do good things, but it's just so easy for us to do things for uh, the, 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 wrong, the wrong reasons, I guess. Al, I mean, I'm sorry, Bud? Well, part of it, this is so, uh, it's like John Scalatch, when he tells us, it's, it's awful hard for us to admit we can't do it. Yeah. And allow the Lord, well, the Lord to work through us and live through us. We have to get to the point to say, I can't do it, Lord. Mm-hmm. Temper, temper. We try to control our temper, or I try to control my temper over and over again. But I'm too proud to just let, lie down and let the Lord take care of it. And he takes care of my temper, not me doing it. Uh, amen. Amen. Yeah, it takes some humbling to admit that uh, our good works uh, are not necessarily in, in self-effort are, are not necessarily what the lord wants um self-dependence not jesus dependence self-glory rather than god's glory sinful as opposed to holy flesh instead of faith me instead of jesus all right uh self-dependence is is uh is, is that which comes naturally but god can give us victory over this i think you hit the nail on the head we have to come to the end of ourselves where we come to the lord and say lord i can't do it I need your help. Uh, enable me. I need your grace in this. Um, but yeah, we get off of the grace path onto the works <coughs> path. And sometimes it's, it's uh, fleshly works and sometimes it's self-righteous works. But either way, we can get off of that, that path of dependence and we need to get back on that. Uh, the author mentions about ambition. And ambition, as he mentions, is a mixed bag. And I've seen this in my own life. Uh, ambition can be used of God, and he can point it the right direction. You can really uh, accomplish some things that, that were led of the Lord. But ambition could be pure, or ambition could be proud. It's not always pride. It's not always pure. But uh, we need to be careful of that. I know that for me, um, the Lord really dealt with my ambition back when he led me here, actually. Uh, Just uh, teaching me about my identity, that my identity was not in what I did for him. My my identity identity was just being his. And that was so hard for me. I had spent eight years in evangelism, 
and just doing a lot for the Lord. And it's not, it's, I'm not saying it's wrong to serve the Lord. We want to serve the Lord, right? Uh, but I, I wrapped my identity into that. <clears throat> and then when the Lord said, oh, let, me, let me just touch evangelism and see what happens to him, the wheels came off my wagon. I mean, life was over, basically. I was just a mess. Uh, I had all of this ambition, and the Lord couldn't show me without first touching that identity issue. And uh, I, I, the Lord stripped away pretty much all ambition. I, I kind of lost the, the good ambitions and the bad <laughs> for a time there. And then I began praying, and I said, Lord, I've kind of lost all ambition. I don't really want to do anything. I don't, I don't have a care in the world. I don't, I don't care what I do, where I go. It doesn't matter. Um, that's probably not good. So I need to have some, some ambitions. So I'm praying, Lord, that you would put back that which is of you and keep out that which isn't. And it was good to see God begin to do that. Uh, we need to make sure that we're not just striving to do something great for God, but first we are striving to depend on our great God. There is a difference in those two things. Yes? self-powered human-made good works. Uh, as I read about studying the, the Bema, the judgment seat for all Christians, there's different characteristics of things that are going to be there. Gold and silver and wood and hay. And I, and I think those, uh, the, the things that burn are not necessarily bad things. But there's a, there's a school of thought, there's a theological viewpoint that those are good works that we do on our own, empowered on our own, that are not spirit-controlled and, and spirit-motivated. And they're just not going to last. And there, there are a lot of people that have built hospitals um, and have church buildings named after them. And upon examination, um, there's nothing there. They, they were done in the wrong way for the wrong reason. <clears throat> the gospel wasn't preached there. I, I'm thinking of the, the greatest pastor in Ohio. He had a 747. And, uh, he was also, he just recently died, and he never preached the gospel, and he was a sodomite. Mm -hmm. Nothing he did is going to survive any examination. I'm not, I'm not saying he was necessarily saved or not, God knows, uh, because Christians are capable of any sin, it seems. Uh, but I want what I do to survive that demon examination. Mm -hmm. And I know if I'm doing it on my own, there's a great danger. Yeah. There's, there's no way it's going to survive because everything I do, you know, even the, the wicked, when they harvest and sow, it's not going to work out. Right. It's, it's, it's tainted. Everything we do is tainted. Even our children are tainted. So we have to be very careful as, as Christian ambassadors to, yes. to use the empowerment we have. That's good. At the BMC, that's a good illustration. That which God does through us will last. And that which we just try to do on our own won't. And that's sobering to think about that. That's very sobering. Yes? Kind of um, follow up with that, too. We'll, you know, we will get our crowns through that, but then we will take those crowns and we will look at Jesus. That's right. So it will all be for him anyways. Exactly. We're not going to be wearing, we're not going to be talent around wearing our crowns. Absolutely. It's going to be going right to Jesus. Yep. Yep. I, I saw, I, I, I keep, I, these basketball illustrations this morning. I had basketball illustrations. Uh, we had this award ceremony after the championship game, and they handed out a team MVP for every single team that, that was in the tournament. 
And there's this one team, it was obvious this one kid's going to get the champion, he's going to get the team MVP, most valuable player on that team. And he came up there and he got his award and he brought another kid off of the bench, brought him up, took his MVP and gave it to the kid. And it was a neat gesture. But I looked at the face of the kid and the kid is like, I don't want this. He felt so weird because it's like, here's the star. Everyone knows you're the MVP. And he gives the award to this other kid. And the kid's like, I'm on the bench. What are you doing to me? I'm embarrassed. And he, he tried to give it back, didn't want it at all, right? And in a sense, we're going to get these awards, these, these crowns, and recognize we didn't do anything for these. I mean, the Lord did it. We worked with God. We depended on him. We, we, we simply let him work through us and we're going to put them all back at his feet. This is his work, his glory. So the victory plan is letter A, live for Jesus versus living in Jesus. Okay, so letter B is living in Jesus. All right. Uh, and letter A, live for Jesus. There's a difference here. Uh, living for Jesus could be my trying in self-effort to impress him or win him proving something, maybe trying to make ourselves a certain standard of holiness or whatever. Um, and, and it can be very, very subtle. Usually it is. It sneaks up on us. And then sometimes when we do think that we're living for Jesus, then we tend to bask in the glory. You just can't help it. Look at what I've done for God and God must be so happy for me and so pleased with me. And the truth is, the only reason God is pleased with me is that he sees Jesus in me. I have no righteousness. My righteousness is filthy rags. My righteousness has always been filthy rags, always will be filthy rags. The only reason I get to go to heaven is not because he says, hey, barber, you're looking good. He sees the blood applied. He sees Christ. Uh, so we have to remember it is Christ that pleases him. We're just with him. We're just with Christ. And so everything I'm doing is not making me better in God's estimation or I'm proving something to God or he really loves me now. No, it is, it is simply anything I'm doing for God, hopefully, is him working through me in the first place and he gets all the glory. It's not about me living for him for my own glory. This is a spiritual dead end. Just trying to live for him and, and ending up taking some of the glory and so forth. It reduces grace, takes the spotlight off of Jesus. So what, what do we want? We want to live in Jesus. <clears throat> Acts 17, 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are his, also his offspring. We live in him, we move in him, we have our being in him. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Uh, John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. All these verses giving the same theme. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And then 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Winning the victory side, okay, we're on the victory plan, right? What is our victory plan? How do we win? Rather than living for Jesus, we want to live in Jesus. 
winning is in Jesus, not necessarily trying, striving. Uh, it's me in total dependence, letting Jesus live through me. Casting myself on him rather than quitting. All right, when you're tempted to, qu to quit and give up, well, you're close to victory, actually. When you quit and give up, just cast yourself at him and, and, and collapse into his strength and sufficiency. I can't do it, Lord. I need you. Uh, be that living sacrifice. Talked about in Romans 12, 1. Yielding, total surrender to him. Uh, God didn't save you so you could grace him. He saved you so he could grace you. He wants our whole love, our whole devotion, our whole sur surrender uh, 100%. He doesn't need our grace, we need His grace. So uh, we need to live for Him. So we had a, a uh, grace plan, first of all, a victory plan, secondly, and now uh, here's the game plan. Three things. <clears throat> it's going to seem pretty basic, but I actually like basic. I like it when it's basic because that, that means there's hope for me. I, I like simple stuff. <laughs> uh, if it gets too complex, then uh, that can get over our heads. So here it is. Um, the, the game plan. Well, again, Independence says, Jesus, look at how mature I've become. All right, that is magnifying self. Dependence says, Jesus, without you I can do nothing. I'm learning to live in him, living that crucified with Christ life. Uh, so what we want is the first thing, which is love Jesus. Love him first and foremost. I know it sounds basic. It's like, well, who doesn't love God? I mean, Who's here at church tonight uh, who doesn't love Jesus? Come on. Uh, folks, this is important because self-love vies with this all the time. Love self or love Jesus. Uh, John 21, 15, So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Lord, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Mark 12, 30. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, to love him with everything. All your soul, all your heart, all your mind. If you love me, keep his commandments. What's the greatest thing I can do for Jesus? Some new Christian asks. I'm so glad to be saved. What's the greatest thing I can do for him? Well, what is it? Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, all your strength. And as you love him, there's stuff that's going to come out of that. As we read, if you love me, keep my commandments. Those who love him uh, are in a better place to have victory. And it's not victory out of duty at that point. It's victory out of love. You think of it this way. What kind of a marriage do you want? a marriage of duty where you dutifully check certain boxes all the time. When she wakes up, I get her her coffee on time and I give her her newspaper or whatever she wants and then I come home at the appointed time and I'm in my spot at the right time, but, but it's all duty and, and your spouse knows it's all duty. I don't know. You might say, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if it would be great for uh, the long run, though. It might be nice to have certain things that happen, uh, but I think in the long run, we enjoy the spontaneity of a surprise. 
a surprise text or flowers or, oh, he did the dishes. What in the world? He hasn't done the dishes all year. He did the dishes. And, and oh, he, he went and he took my car to the wash. He washed my car and filled it up with gas and all this. Wow. And, and there's, there's actions taking place, but those actions were not duty-driven. They were love-driven. So, I mean, uh, you could ask a wife, so wife, uh, what do you want from your husband? Do, do, you, do you want him to take your checklist and the rest of your marriage, he just checks boxes? Maybe some wives would say that. Maybe they'd be like, yeah, you know what? That'll work for me. That's better than what I've got. That will work for me. But you'd be, you'd be definitely um, getting the raw end of that, the short end of the stick. Or would you want him to make up his own boxes and, and, and not, not make up his own, but show you demonstrations of his love that are real and genuine and maybe even some that are surprising, some that are routine? Well, I think we would want that kind of relationship. Well, what does God want from us? <clears throat> he wants us to have uh, a relationship with him that is rooted in love as opposed to merely rooted in law. Now, you have law and love in the same verse. If you love me, keep my commandments. Commandments are law, and love is love. But the love comes first, and that the actions come out of it, and it makes a world of difference. I'm doing certain actions for my wife because I love her, as opposed to the opposite way around, which can be just empty, empty, have, you have an empty relationship. Some Christians fail to see love and grace as motivators. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Where you say, uh, you know, we want new Christians to get with the program and serve the Lord and hop to and help us build this church. Jesus is coming, right? I mean, we got stuff to do. The, the, the trumpet could sound. We could be out of here. We got stuff to do. We don't know how much time. Christian, new Christians need to get going. Let's get this thing going. How are we going to motivate these guys to do what they need to do? To show up for church, to read their Bible, to be faithful to their spouse, and blah, 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 blah. Well, I mean, love and grace isn't going to motivate anybody. <laughs> I mean, who's going to be motivated to do right because of love and grace? We need to just put the screws to them. And, and law, law, law. And a lot of us have done that in our churches. And we have law-driven churches because we don't trust that people can be motivated by God's love for them and by His grace for them. And I'm not saying that we, the love and grace route means that no actions come out of it. We've already established that. Actions come out of that. Yes? Fundamental Baptist law-driven church? Yeah, sure. Tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I think for our longevity with the young people, uh, when, when the only thing we have to motivate the next generation is fear and law and whatever, because we say, I mean, love and grace isn't going to motivate. Have you seen the young people around here? Love and grace is not going to motivate them. Well, I think we're, sell, we're selling short God's love and God's grace. And we need to really teach what that is. You know, uh, the message this morning, um, as I was thinking about that, Jesus comes in, wins a great victory for them, turns around and says nothing. Just shows them the piercings 
They look upon him whom they have pierced and they weep and there's revival like, like we've never seen taking place. And it wasn't him castigating them. It wasn't some major divine spanking. Not that that wouldn't be out of, the, out of the question. I mean, God's done a few divine spankings. But in this case, it was a turn. Uh, it, was, it was a look of love. And it was a look of grace. He did spank them. He certainly did. And he warned them on the way to the cross. Neither of those worked. Right. Love works. Amen. Uh, Amen. That's, that's a good, that's when a good my, point. Uh, uh, we've been married a long time. And uh, when, I, when I let my wife down, She'll sometimes say to me, and this is, probably belongs in your Wednesday night class, uh, but don't bring it up there. Uh, she'll, she'll say something to me that really is piercing, and she'll say, I just want you to study me so that you know. Huh. And, you know, marriage is, the, is kind of the mirror of salvation yeah, in the Word of God. Absolutely. And, you know, that's how we should look at Jesus. Mm. Study him. That's why you study your Bible. He's the Word. Uh, that's why you should be in church. S- study him. It's, it's his body. Uh, and and that, the, if you love him, that's what you'll do. Amen. And the results will always be better. Amen. I like it. Study. Study your spouse, and the results are going to be good. Study the Lord, and it's, you're going to be better, better off for that. Yes, Cindy. Pops into my mind kind of to help go along with the love and grace. Is great peace uh, have they which love thy law nothing shall offend them. I think when we love the Lord, we're also loving his law because right. he uh, is his word. <laughs> and I think they can marry together. Um, I think, you know, we've heard it said before, when you have all law driven and all grace driven, you don't have the right path. You know, it's mercy and truth. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, there's the laws lovely also. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, we don't love the Lord apart from his word. You know, he is the living word. Um, so I see what you're saying there. It's, it's, it's not that we are, um, uh, we, we shouldn't, any, any, any grace, love, teaching that takes you away from what God has inspired in his word uh, would be an error. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, so can, can love and grace be a motivator? <clears throat> I think we saw this morning from Zechariah 12 that it can be. Uh, love and grace was a motivator there. Um, we often prefer to legislate behavior rather than uh, motivate behavior. And I, I, I'm thinking about this as a parent. Uh, sometimes my wife and I are just, we're, we're, we don't know what we're supposed to do we're, with a certain kid, with a certain thing we're working through. Um, I'm not saying we have bad kids, but we have kids. Uh, kids have issues. You work with kids, and, and sometimes it's rough. And sometimes we're sitting here like, wow, how do we get through on this point? They're not getting this. And I can tend to want to just come down with just legislation. Well, we need more legislation. Where did we go wrong? We'll make a rule for that. Okay, how did this, how did this happen in our house? How did this happen? Well, okay, that's where, okay, we'll put a rule there. We'll hedge here and a rule here and a rule here. And before you know it, we've got more rules than we can ever enforce. I, I'm just telling you, this has happened to me. And then you're, a, you're the parent who has a million rules you don't enforce. 
because you can't enforce them all. You forgot half of them. You made up half of them when you were angry. Oh, you're going to do that then? Well, from now on, look out. You're not even going to remember that tomorrow, at least if you're like me. From now on, in this house, we're not doing such and such. If you make a rule, you better remember it. Um, and we, we just, we're just trying to legislate behavior as opposed to what I've been trying to do recently is have a long talk with my kids about the Lord. About who they are in Christ. About the destiny that, that Christ has for them. Where we're going and, and why Satan's, uh, his, his ideas and his distractions and all that, that's not part of our future. And how much God loves us. And well, I had a good talk with a couple of my kids, uh, was it yesterday or two days ago, something like that. It was a long talk. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest hindrances to this is the time it takes to motivate with love and grace. I mean, legislation can be so quick and easy. It's just done. And I'm busy a lot of times, as you probably are. I'm sitting at my computer trying to get something done. I usually study here, but I have a computer and a desk at the house if I need to study at the house. I'm trying to get something done and something breaks loose with the kids. And I have to deal with it. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to get out right now and break my train of thought. But you can very quickly come in and bang, 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 legislate, legislate, woof, 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 done. And I can feel like dad just did it. We laid it down, back over there at my computer, two minutes flat. And then they do it again and again. And it's like we didn't get anywhere. But if I will just take the time, unplug from what I was doing, sit down with the kids, my wife and I will do this. Uh, she'll sometimes take a timeout on the homeschool day. Okay, kids, timeout. We're losing it. We're losing the whole homeschool. The homeschool ship is going down. Timeout. Everybody come to the, to the, into, the, into the living room, sit on the couch. We'll line them up. We're going to have a heart-to-heart talk. We're going to get past the surface stuff, down into the root issues. What are we doing here? What is our motivation? And I'll tell you, whenever my wife and I have been doing that with our kids, boy, is it different. It is a, it, you, you can get to their heart. And sometimes uh, kids will, will say things they don't mean, but they're horrible things. And you're like, where did that come from? They're just crying out in frustration, saying stuff they don't mean. We do the same thing. We say crazy stuff that we don't mean either. Just looking for help or looking for attention or just venting frustration. And rather than just jumping on what was said and, oh, you can't say that, we're going to, boom, come down on that behavior. We're going to recognize what was underneath this and let's motivate them to, to something deeper. Uh, behavior modification, I mean, my wife and I have tried it in our house. It ain't working. <laughs> it's not working. But uh, when we take the time to get down to God's love and grace as motivators, it certainly does help. I'm not saying that there's no punishments and there's no discipline that takes place and there's no rules. I'm not saying that. But the rules have more context within the identity of who we are in Christ and His love for us and His grace. I want to read this from the book. This is very interesting to me. I I want to see if you have thoughts on this. So feel free to flag me down at the end of this paragraph. So some Christians are afraid that if they or others embrace the grace path, it becomes a license to sin, a free pass for tolerance of bad behavior. 
They fear if they teach or preach uh, that Jesus unconditionally accepts us, then Christians will then do less for Jesus and the church. Uh, This is a gross underestimation of the power of God's grace and a gross overestimation of human ability to leverage lesser motivations. Did you catch that? I'm going to say that again. This is a gross underestimation of the power of God's grace and a gross overestimation of human ability to leverage lesser motivations toward behavioral goodness. We spend so much time going after lesser motivations and we we give human ability too much credit. It's a recipe for discouragement in your relationship with Jesus and your church, whether it be in your family or whatever. Do you have any thoughts on that? Are we afraid that if others take this path that it will lead them uh, toward license? Because some seem to have taken that path and some seem to have gone toward license. So what's the deal? Thoughts on that? Well, of course, we know in Titus chapter 2, the grace of God that bringeth salvation as a beard to all men teaches us what? That denying ungodliness and worldliness and, and I can't remember, foolish lust, however, I, I, boy, I need to memorize that one. <laughs> I just talked about it in the class with the starting point. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and all of this, that we might live soberly, godly, and righteously in this present world. I think I got most of it. The grace of God teaches us that. So real grace is not going to lead you to license. Yes? Law is great, and uh, law was here to help us. But Jesus uh, has given a new commandment in Mark 12, 33. Love's more important. Love trumps a lot. Love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and love his neighbor as himself. That's more more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So when we have problems in our family, uh, love's always the best way. It's always the best way with with our kids. I think it's the best way in our church, too. Yeah. Um, You know, if you uh, study church discipline, and not many churches practice it today, I know we do, um, the goal is not punishment. Right. right. It's restoration. It's, rest, it's love. It's restoration. If, if we didn't love people, we, we, we certainly wouldn't have church discipline. Mm-hmm. We'd have church ejection. We'd, yeah. We'd, it would be real short. Um, so love always works best. And I know it works best with me when I sin and fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like it when God loves me rather than corrects me uh, uh, horribly. I'm chastening the right and he always does it the right way he's done in love so yeah amen that's huge again think of it like a marriage uh if the husband or the wife is only focusing on good behaviors and nothing is motivated by a sense of love and commitment if it's just duty that's going to be uh exhausting at at some point and it's going to be dissatisfying but it actually works in in the secular world too. I mean, I saw it happen. Uh, if those people that are under your, your authority don't you care for them or actually love them, they actually they, they put out or you put out if you're under the mm-hmm. authority that you know that, per, that leader cares for you. Yeah. You're going to do whatever to make things happen. Amen. 
Love should be the most powerful motivator. That's what he's trying to say here. But we have a hard time trusting that. We think, oh, I don't know if my kid, that's going to work for the kid. Uh, of course, we have guidelines, we have, we have our, our rules and so forth with our kids, but we need to be trying to not depend on those things, but to lead them to the deeper motivation of love. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 spells it out. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge if one died for all, then all were dead. And he goes on to talk about uh, you know, the, 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 what comes out of that love. For the love of Christ constrains me to live a certain way. Yes? Amen. It's good. The grace of God produces uh, a greater love for God, which in turn motivates me when I do fall to repent and, and uh, to turn from certain sin that grieves him and to turn toward him, worship him, and so forth. And here's the verse right in my notes. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There it is. When all else fails, just read the notes. That's what grace teaches us. So we don't want to just, uh, uh, to, we don't want to sell short the, the motivation of love. We've got to keep moving though. So number one was love Jesus. Number two was, is walk with Jesus. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. More can ye except ye abide in me. And then Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So relationships are made stronger through time and attention. When I'm with my wife, my wife wants quality time and she wants focus. So if, if I am not careful, I can hurt her feelings without even meaning to because we sit down on the couch, the kids are in bed, and she wants to talk. I pull out my phone and I'm looking at something and uh-huh, uh-huh, oh yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And oh, that doesn't go over in our house. I don't know about you guys, but uh, if she wants to talk, I got to put the phone away and she wants focused attention. Uh, the same with the Lord Jesus. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to fellowship with him. And the longer we walk with him, the deeper that relationship gets. I want to read this as well from the book. Real Christianity is an intimate, loving relationship with Jesus. The more time you spend with him, the more you will love him. So maybe you're saying to yourself, I don't know if love is a good enough motivation for me. I'm having struggles in my life that love is just not able to help me through. I, think I need a little more law in my life. Maybe you need a little more time with Jesus. The more time you spend with him, the more you walk with him, the more you'll love him. The more you love him, the more you yield to his grace and goodness. And the more you yield, the more he changes you. And as our heart changes, behavior follows. And uh, that way we don't have to be just behavior driven. The behavior will follow. It's in him and through him, not all the stuff we're trying to do for him. All right. Letter C, the last one, depend on Jesus. So that's our threefold game plan. Love Jesus, walk with Jesus, and depend on Jesus. 
Bible's clear. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through, Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. <clears throat> Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, of, of righteousness unto God. So what's the idea of yielding? The idea of yielding is depending. We're going to have victory over sin, but not because we finally beat it. Ha <laughs> ha! No, it's going to be because we yield ourselves to him and yield our members as instruments of righteousness to him. And uh, Romans 12 is a similar, 12, 1 and 2 is a similar uh, uh, admonition to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It's our reasonable service to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. That's how we know the will of God. As we depend upon him, he renews our mind. So this is real Christianity. This is a work that you and I cannot do, that only he can do through us. We need to love Jesus, walk with Jesus, and depend upon Jesus. Uh, It sounds simple. Well, if it sounds simple, then that's that's a good news. I'm glad that God has made it something that we can uh, 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 get our heads around and, and obey. Love Jesus, walk with Jesus, and depend, with, uh, depend on Jesus. This is his, his uh, game plan. Are you staying in love with the Lord? Is there something that is pulling your heart some other direction? Have you left your first love? Right, How is your priorities? Your priorities will tell the tale. You don't need to tell it. Just let your priorities tell it for you. Are you walking with him daily? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time in his word? Are you learning to depend upon him and yield to him jesus is perfect you and i aren't he knows we aren't he is working in us and he's okay with that he just wants us to work with him walk with him continue to love him and he'll continue to uh to to make us into his image so let's keep loving jesus let's keep walking with jesus let's keep depending on jesus and if you have time you can look at that verse Again, and maybe try to memorize it. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Sometimes it's smooth, and sometimes we grind the gears, right? Uh, But don't be discouraged. Next week we'll be talking about failing. Failure. And the title is called Failing Forward. Understanding God's inexhaustible grace. Uh, Failure is not the end Failure is another opportunity to come, if it's the end of anything, it's another opportunity to come to the end of ourselves and a greater dependence upon him. Don't fear failure. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you for being here. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this lesson and the good discussion. We pray that you'd help us uh, to have a game plan for victory in this week to, to learn to live for you, to love you, to walk with you, to depend upon you. <clears throat> Uh, Lord, and and as we are living for you, help us, Lord, to remember that it's not about what we're doing for you, but that we're living in you and you're living through us. Lord, we pray that you'd give us the victory that you purchased with your own blood that is our inheritance through Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here and thanks for those who watched online.